This is Deep Dives, and I'm your host, Matt Samuels. We have a very exciting programming alert to announce, and that is executive producer Miles Gross has been promoted to co-host of the opening segment. Congratulations, Miles. Wow, thank you so much, Matthew. This is such an honor to be here in the studio. Um, For the listeners, I have been in the back room co-producing for the last couple episodes and now i i've been the man i've been the man behind the man behind the microphone and now i get to really be in the studio seeing where the magic happens what an amazing studio by the way where how did you put this all together this was um this was the work of me and about 12 guys from task rabbit wow yeah, yeah. I, I can't say that I did any of the physical work, but I, I, I overlooked, I oversaw. You, man- you, you were the manager for the operation. Yes. Uh, we, we put a table, we put a chair, we put, now we have two chairs, mm. which now I'm a little cramped in here. Um, we have a computer, uh, some soundproofing, and, uh, and that's, that's, where, that's, that's how you make the magic happen. So, does this, where does this uh, promotion where is this on your list of accomplishments, life life accomplishments so far? Well, I'm young, so haven't done uh, too too much yet. It's it's definitely top three. Top three, which is great. It's definitely going top top three of the resume um, for the recruiters out there. I'm excited. This is a great opportunity for the podcast and for me. Right, and <laughs> I guess my worry is that you know if if you really perform well. Uh, you you know this could be like a hostile takeover. I'm I'm taking a risk here. You know I I don't you know this is deep dives with Matt Samuels, not Miles Gross. Yeah, I think we should do a poll after after the segment after the interview and ask the listeners on Instagram and Facebook if they, if they want more Miles or less Matt and and then they'll decide what happens on the right. next episode. Give them the control. <laughs> so you're you're gonna give the power to the people. Give the it's it's democracy, right? That's what we really it's want. Democracy in action, that's for sure. Yeah. Okay. So I want the listeners. I want everyone to uh, to welcome Miles as as a voice on the show and. Uh, you know, if if he doesn't totally bomb out, he'll he'll be back for next week. Oh, well, I'm gonna try my best, but I... so we have uh, Brian uh, Deutschmeister. He's our guest on on this week's show. He's a professional uh, poker player. He's played it in the World Series of Poker, played in cash games, big tournaments. Uh, recently finished in a final table of a big one. So he's a he's an incredibly accomplished guy. Um, what's your poker? level miles what, what's your skill level it's pretty non-existent um but we have been playing recently we've been getting together over zoom with a couple of buddies playing in the past year during covid and i've been losing lots of money <laughs> my <laughs> game my game is blackjack you go to the casino you play the book you hit or you stay and you walk away up or down a little bit you're, you're like uh you're like um uh, you're like just bait in the water for for these sharks. My friends call me Rain Man, by the way, when I'm in the casino. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that another time. Well, that's another uh, episode. But but uh, we have played poker together, and you, you've got you've got talent. I think I think you, if we could kind of hone your skills, uh, you know, get you to focus maybe a little more, we'll we'll, we'll get you into a po- you know be a better player for sure. How's your game? What do you think? You what level do you consider yourself as a poker player? I I have my moments. I have my moments. I think I get a little, uh, you know, I'm in it for the for the for the entertainment value. Uh, so I I, I kind of lose I kind of lose focus. Okay. I kind of lose focus along the way. It could be so, a slow game, but I feel like I feel like your guest 
when he's got his own money at stake, and it's a lot of it, yes. you're definitely going to be a little more invested. When you do it, he's a pro- this is what he does for a living. Well, for it- sure. We do it for fun. It's entertainment. Right. This is his day job. Day in and day out. And there's a different way, there's a different way you go about it if, if this is your, your livelihood, which it is for Brian. So, Miles, thank you for uh, you know, out of your really busy schedule of doing nothing. Uh, thank you for... I'm unemployed. This is my only income. Thank I you. better get a raise with this new title. I better get a promotion if with you, a, a salary. It, it is easy to get uh, a raise when you start at nothing. It is. It can only go up. I can't, I can't decrease your, your salary. We're going to negotiate so, after this. Uh, you, run a, you run a tough, a <laughs> tough bargain. Uh, but we, we have Brian waiting, uh, so we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to let you go, Miles, and, uh, we hope you join us next week. I'm excited. Thank you so much for having me again, and looking forward to, to hearing about Brian's story. We'll be right back with Brian after this. And we are back on Deep Dives, and we're joined by professional poker player Brian Deutschmeister. How you doing, Brian? Welcome to the show. I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I'm glad uh, glad we were able to make the time as you know, as an amateur poker player myself. Uh, really looking forward to this episode for a long time. Uh, it's uh, always been a been a hobby of mine, but certainly nowhere near the professional level. So um, looking looking forward to to speaking with you and and learning more about yourself and you know, hopefully get some insight into the game. Um, so talk a little bit about, you, know, you have an interesting background. Um, you know, before you uh, became a professional poker player, you kind of had a, a different career, um, which seems, uh, you know, something that, you know, it happens, obviously. You know, I, I, I was in television production and spent some time as an artist, kind of jumped around, and, you know, it seemed like, you know, it took you, a uh, different career to to get to where you are today, um, and obviously working out really well. So why don't you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it, I'm a little unique um, as a poker player. As um, a lot of poker players, um, they just like drop out of college to become pro. Like they don't really have a job before they make the dive to playing professionally. Like that's kind of what's happened with a lot of players. So um, for me, I had. Um, one job right out of college. Um, basically, um, I went into college like knowing like what I kind of wanted to do, but not really exactly. Like I, I, I majored. I knew I wanted to do something like math related, so I went into college like majoring in math. Um, and I figured I'll find some job in math. And like at first, like I wanted to be. I, like the first thing I kind of thought I may want to be was like to be an actuary. So I even like I I took an actuary exam um, after taking this probability cor- course my junior year, and the first time I took it, like I didn't really know what I was doing. I like studied for like 20 hours. I just like kind of winged it. Oh, I I thought like oh I took this probability course. I could do really well on this, and like I bombed the actuary exam. But um, that summer I like really worked hard. I bought like this course to help me study like I studied probably like 100 200 hours working on these practice exams and I passed one of the actuary exams it's called the P exam so this was my senior year like summer going into my senior year and I kind of like thought oh I guess I'm going to be an actuary like 
I knew like a lot of these entry level jobs or actuaries, like you need to pass at least one or two of these exams. And I already had one of the exams under my belt. And I figured, oh, I'll take this other course, first semester, senior year, that'll help me prepare for the second exam. I'll pass this exam like in the spring. And then by the time I graduate, I'll be in good shape to get an actuary job. So like that, that's kind of like what I was thinking of doing my senior year. Um, and then I remember December of my senior year, uh, I just got like this random email for like this phone interview from like this company called Epic. And like, I had no idea what this company was. It was, um, I was thinking like, oh, Epic Games. Like this is like the time like Fortnite was like a big thing. So like, I thought like, oh, it's like Epic Games. And then like, it turns out Epic is like this medical software company in Madison, Wisconsin. And it's actually like a pretty big company. It's got like 10,000 employees. It hires um, a bunch of people from like out of state, like they recruit all over the country. So I got this like phone interview and I was like, all right, I'll take this phone interview. Like I don't, like I didn't have any, um, that many interviews lined up. I was like, yeah, what the hell? I'm still looking for jobs. Like whatever, like I'll, I'll do this. So I do the phone interview. The phone interview goes pretty well. Um, and they tell me that I'm going to have to take some sort of like skills assessment in the next couple of weeks. I'm like, okay, sure. So this is like during my winter break. I remember the day very well because it was, it was actually my parents' wedding anniversary that day. And on that day, like they were, um, they wanted to like watch like wedding videos with me and my sister. And I was like, oh, no, I can't. I actually can't do that right now. I have this um, skills assessment I have to do for this job interview. And they're like, what? Like, job interview? this is like strange or tough. So like, I'm like, all right. So I did the skills assessment. It was like, it wasn't too bad. It was like a lot of like logic questions and whatever stuff like that. So um, like a week or two later, I get an email saying that they want me to do like this in-person interview in Madison, Wisconsin. I was like, oh, wow, this is pretty big. This could be like, this, this is interesting. Like they're willing to like fly me out, pay for my flight, pay for my hotel and all this stuff. Like they must really be interested and I was like yeah what the hell like I'm like I never really at that point it was like I don't really know if I want this job but it's like whatever cool experience the one thing that did annoy me though about that interview was um it was like during the divisional playoffs um <laughs> and um it was there were two great games that that day I don't know if you remember but um it was the Steelers Jaguars game that was on like while I was on the plane I remember I had like a connecting flight in Georgia and I watched like part of that game at like some bar while I waited for my flight. <laughs> and then the next, the other game after that was, um, was the Minneapolis miracle game, the saints Vikings game. Sure. And the funny thing about that was my dad and I, like, I guess he had friends in Vegas and we had them place a parlay for us. Like we had like that weekend, we got like all three parts of the parlay, right. And the last wow. part of the parlay we needed was for, I think it was Saints money line. So like, and I remember, the, I remember that night. Hit it. They, it took us out to like this really nice like restaurant like in Wisconsin, and like it was like this one woman who worked at Epic, and it was like eight or nine of us like sitting at this restaurant like, and people were just asking all these questions about Epic and stuff, and like I was like kind of engaged, but I was also like kind of watching the game because it was like like came down to the wire, and I just remember like the bar's reaction because it's like Wisconsin like. 
I think like a lot of them were not happy because like, like the Vikings won that game and stuff. And like I just like stood at the stared at the TV in disbelief. Mm. And <laughs> that was a crazy game. I remember that game. I do yeah, I don't. It's, I mean, that's a good thing. Is I wasn't even mad. Like I think we were gonna win like two hundred forty dollars on like a forty dollar bet. But like I wasn't even mad because it's like right. those type of games like they happen like once in like every fifteen years. Like you, you're gonna always remember where you were. Right. <laughs> so and I digress, but like anyway, I mean, I, I so as a big football fan, I wasn't thrilled about having the interview that day. But anyway, um, the interview went pretty well, and um, I get back to school like a week later, and I remember getting like an email from someone at Epic saying like basically I got the job and like they were willing to um, like they basically gave me an offer. And like someone called, I called someone, spoke to them, and I like decided to think it over, like weighed the pros and cons. I remember talking to my parents about it, um, and then I just kind of like, like I still kind of wanted to be an actuary, but I wasn't like sold on being an actuary. Like I really didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, and I was like, oh wow, this is kind of cool. Like, as someone who like grew up in New Jersey my whole life, went to school in New Jersey. Like, I mean, I love Rutgers. Rutgers is great, but it's like I never really experienced living in another state. So I decided that um, I was going to take the job and um, figured it was a, like, it was cool. Cause like they hired like a bunch of people my age. So I'd be like, Oh, I'm going to meet all my friends and stuff. And it's going to be like a cool experience. So like I get to Epic and first like month and a half at Epic, it was like great. Like, cause like we basically, it felt like college. Cause I was like meeting all these people um we were basically in training where we'd be going to classes like for like five six hours a day getting lunch i mean the the food there was incredible like they had like they actually hired a culinary team like it was restaurant quality food even better than that for like four dollars like it was insane so like that was really cool so like i'm like i'm like living it up there the first like month and a half like it's great like i love it i love like i'm not actually doing any work like because my role was like technical services basically i was assigned customers and I would help them like answer any like technical issues they had about like the epic software and stuff but like I wasn't going to be assigned to customers until like November and I started in September right so like the first couple months are great then once I started getting assigned customers got a little tougher and like the way they kind of just throw you into the water like they like and like hope you can swim kind of thing like what they I've heard like it really takes like a year or two before you actually know what you're doing and are confident right. in your job. Like most of my job was just like going around like getting help from my mentor or advisors or like other people, like basically asking them to help explain the answer to me so I could explain the answer to my customers. Which Right. right. I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't really like that. I mean I just I really didn't like the job. Like the job just like wasn't for me. I mean, I could see maybe being good at it if I knew what right. I was doing. Like if I was ex- if my job was to explain poker to like these people, like I'd be like, oh yeah, I could do that. Like if I was doing stuff like that, like I enjoyed like explaining things. Like I like I've I've done a lot of math tutoring and stuff. Like I enjoyed. Sure. But like the thing is, like I was explaining things to people, like stuff I didn't even understand. The people who understood stuff, the stuff more than I did. So, like so, it was just like. I just really didn't like the job. And, so, and that, and that kind of, at what point do you say here, you know, you're, you're at Epic and, and you can just kind of see the writing on the wall. This is not for me. Was there a day where you said, 
I'm going to play poker, you know. <laughs> so, so that didn't ha- so the way that happened. So right. um I knew probably I mean I started in September. I think I knew by like January, February, I knew I probably wasn't going to be there more than a year. Like initially I was like, like when I first took the job, I was like, Oh, this is a good starter job. I'll be there for like two, three years and then probably move on. And then I realized I'm like, yeah, like January, like four or five months in, I'm like, yeah, I probably want to just only be here a year. Um, but I hadn't really told my parents that yet. And I think I told, I think I remember telling my dad around like March that like I was probably only going to be there a year. And then, in April, I kind of, like I came home in April for like a few days. Um, one thing that was also really annoying about Epic was that like I had like ten vacation days, and I basically spent most of my vacation days just coming home. Like I remember I spent five of them for like Thanksgiving. Like it was so annoying. Like for stuff like like to move across the country. Like I, my vacation days were just like coming home, which was annoying. But anyway, um, yeah. So in April, I kind of knew I wasn't going to be at Epic. I was, I was going to be done after the year. So like, that's when I started applying for jobs. And um, I mean, I, I did like Wisconsin. Like I made a good number of friends out there. Like I enjoyed living in Wisconsin. Like Madison's like a really cool. Right. Like, I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's like, it's like a college, it's college town. Like it's really beautiful in the spring and the summer. Like, cause it's like, it's an, it's on an isthmus, which means like there's two lakes on both sides of the city. Like it's really nice and the winter sucks. <laughs> I, I enjoyed the pros and cons right yeah. so I was kind of like thinking about it like I was like hmm. I mean I was applying to jobs everywhere I was like oh I could stay in Madison so I applied to some jobs in Madison and I was like oh I could go to Chicago maybe Chicago's kind of cool I'll apply there and I also was like oh I'll apply to the east coast so I was applying to all these different jobs didn't really get much traction maybe had like one or two like interviews or something but like nothing really going for me so I still wasn't sure what I was going to do, like if I was going to stay in Madison or whatever, or come home. And like, I remember um, this was in June, like my roommate was like asking me, like, like, are you staying or what's happening? Cause like he needed to figure out like, cause he needed to find a new roommate potentially if I was going to move out. Like I, he didn't want to have like a month to prepare. Like, so I had to kind of figure it out. And then I remember I went away um, for like three or four days, like father's day weekend on the trip with my friends. And when I got back from that trip, I remember I was talking to my roommate and like, he was like, yeah, man, uh, you didn't really give me an answer. So I already found like someone to take your place. Like that was kind of like the moment where I realized, oh shit, like. Gotta, shit, gotta find, gotta, gotta, gotta find gotta something fi- else. Well, yeah. I gotta figure out what the fuck I'm doing. It right. Kind of like a moment of like, oh shit. Like, so when that happened, I was like, okay, so I'm not going to be living in this apartment. Like I'm moving out of this apartment in September. Right. So. I have a couple options. I could try and find a new apartment in Wisconsin, but that also means I need to find a new job. Cause like, I mean, I hadn't put my notice in yet that I was going to leave like September, but like, it was kind of like the writing was on the wall. Like I kind of like felt like, like I was going to, like I was, I was definitely going to leave then. Like I wasn't going to try and gut it out for more than a year. So like I kind of decided what I was doing. And then um, th- during this time, um, from around April to like June, um, I was playing poker. Like, I was playing in this epic poker game that I found like pretty early on. Um, and then through that game, I made some friends and we would go to the casino. Like I would go to the casino from like the month of basically from like February to May 
in June, like early June, I was going to the casino like three out of four weekends. And like during that time, I went on like a $20,000 heater mm. um, in like two months, which is pretty good. So like, I was like, oh, wow. So I made like $20,000 in like two months playing poker. I had another like 20000 saved up from the job. And I was like, oh, like 40, 45,000. Like, that's a solid bankroll. And like, I kind of realized, oh, I kind of proved myself I can actually win some money at poker. Um, so, like, that was kind of the moment I realized, you know what? Like, and I had talked to like some of my friends from that poker game about it. And like, they were like, why don't you just play poker professionally? Because like, I told them like I was going to probably leave after a year. And, like, didn't really know what to do. And they were like, kind of telling me, you should play poker professionally. And I was kind of like, yeah, I don't know. And then, and then, like, that moment, like, um, when my roommate told me that um, he found someone else to take my room, I was kind of like, you know what? I think I'm going to do it. Mm. So then the that, was a, that was the motivation you needed, a little kick, kick in yeah, the butt, was, right? That was a little kick I needed. I was like, oh, yeah. shit, like, I'm not going to be living in Wisconsin. I need to figure out what the hell I'm doing. And, like, I kinda, it kind of hit me then. So, so, what, um, so, then, so, what's your, so then, Brian, what's your next, your next move? in terms of, okay, now you've gone from this, you know, obviously you've been playing your whole life. You've always been a good poker player, obviously. Um, but, you know, now you're all, you know, all, no pun intended, you're all in. Oh, you're, you're a professional now. How does, what happens next? Um, you know, what, what, how do you make that move from a very, very, you know, good amateur player to this is going to be my, this is my career. This is how I'm making uh, a living. Well, I think, I mean, a lot of it was I had to convince my parents and I also kind of had to convince myself um, that I could do it. So I, I wrote down like a list of like all these pros and cons of like what I was going to do. And um, I figured that um, I, th I, I figured I had the skills to do it. Um, like I would, basically dedicate my like I had a plan like I'm going to dedicate myself like studying like five to ten hours a week playing like um 35 to 40 hours a week and then um I told my parents like I'm gonna like I think they kind of missed me living in Wisconsin like they only saw me like four or five times that entire year so like I was like I'm not going to tell them I'm going to move to Vegas because like they wouldn't buy that but if I told them you know, I'm leaving Wisconsin, but I'm coming home. I'm going to be near you. I'm going to go to, like, I figured <laughs> I'm going to move to Philly. I'll be right by. I'll be, like, an hour from you now. I'll be on the East Coast. Like, I knew this casino, Parks. This is, like, where I used, I used to play at Parks um, when I was, like, my senior year in high school. Not high school. In college, mm -hmm. I'd go with one of my friends to Parks. Like, I didn't have class on Mondays and have, like, a morning class on Wednesday. So, like, twice a week, we'd be going to Parks from, like, 3 p.m. to, like, 1 a.m. Like, it was great. So, like, I knew that casino pretty well. I was like, yeah, I'm going to live on the East Coast. I'll live frugally. Like, I'll find, a, like, a pretty cheap apartment, which I was able to do. Um, but I was like, if I can keep my living expenses low, um, like, I had a decent bank, like, 40000 like, isn't that much, but it's, like, a decent enough bankroll to take a shot. And I figured, like, I would have, like, a one-year trial run and, like, see what happens. Like, that's kind of what I told them, too. Mm -hmm. I was like, I was like, look, I'm young, like, this is the time for me to take this risk, like, I, like, I'm not going to have this opportunity again, probably, like, I think, why, like, what's the worst thing that happens, like, I go broke, and I have to start over, and finally, I'm, like, I'm still, like, super right. young, like, why not go for it, and then I was, like, if it doesn't work out, my backup plan was, like, I'm going to be, 
math teacher. Like I can go there's like an alternate route you can go New Jersey right. for like I was gonna do that or I could do some math tutoring on the side too for extra income. Like I like that's kind of like how I presented it to them. And and Brian, it was there one you know, so you're you, you, you kinda you've gone all in and you're giving it a a you're giving it all you've got, uh, you know, you're gonna give it a year. Is there one tournament along the way or a moment where you it solidified it was solidified that this was going to be your career um do you, is there was there a moment or was it kind of just you know a, a slow grind of of just doing really well i think it's a little bit of that but there definitely so there definitely was a moment that i can think of so um well basically so i left epic this was this would have been September of 2019. So September of 2019, I left Epic and I basically started playing like full time. September 2019, I moved to Philly. Um, from September of 2019 to March of 2020, I was playing live poker at the casino like five days a week. I was doing pretty well, not great, but like I was, I was hitting my goal. Like I set, I set a goal for the first year of like how much I, I wanted to win, um, for the year and, um. I was like hitting that goal, but I wasn't like doing that great. Like, I was doing fine. Um, so then, of course, um, COVID hits March 2020. Um, casino shut down. I'm forced to come home. Um, and like the first couple months, I'm like just playing online poker, or whatever. Um, and then I guess the moment where it really kind of solidified it for me was um, in the summer, like on World Series of Poker.com, there was a bunch of bracelet events. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with World Series of Poker bracelets. Yeah, they had a bunch of, every day in July, they had like a bracelet event. So there was like 30 different tournaments. I ended up playing in 11 of those. And I ended up cashing in five of those and finishing in the top 20 twice at one final table and then finished fourth in that one. And like that tournament, so... We'll get into this later, but I was staked in that tournament. Um, it was a $2,000 buy-in. I only had like 30% of myself or so, but in that tournament, I won $90,000. Mm, that's, that's a nice payday. Yeah. So it's a, that that's was, a, it's a pretty good ROI there, Brian. <laughs> yeah. So that, that, was, that was really exciting. So I think that was the moment for me. I mean, I didn't really need the validation. I think I kind of, had proved proven to myself over the last like year and change. Like, cause I just, I mostly just play cash games. I'm not much of a tournament player. Like I play a few tournaments here and there, but like cash games really where I make my money. And I kind of proved to myself, like I can make a solid um, living from just playing these cash games. So like, I kind of like proved myself, but like, I think that was the moment when like my parents kind of realized like, Oh, he can actually do this. And like, <laughs> Other family members who like may have been skeptical about me doing this, like they kind of realized, oh wow, like he could, like it kind of like that kind of like made me realize, like like now I, I can be like, like I can say like I'm a professional poker player, mm. like like that was yeah. And yeah, I want to dive into, you know, what it's what it takes and what it's like to be a professional poker player because I I so envy you as you know <laughs> someone who has been playing you know, I'll call it weekend poker, you know, for on and off for, for, sure. for, for probably 10 years, uh, you know, with a, with a group of guys. 
um, recently we've been playing through Zoom, which um, which has been which has been a surpri- surprisingly efficient. Um, yeah. As been, as, as uh, Zoom seems to be, um, but you know, for you as what, what I guess my question is what you know what makes you a great player? Uh, what makes you um, you know able to you know, what are the attributes do you think you need to, to truly be a, a professional poker player? So I, I wouldn't say I'm a great player yet. Like, I mean, to be great, I think you have to be, like, like, re- like set the top of poker for, like, a long time. And, like, obviously, I mean, I've only been a professional for a little under two years now. So, like, I wouldn't say I'm great yet, but, I mean, I think I'm pretty good. And I, I guess to be very good in poker – a lot of it take it's a lot a lot more than just like the raw poker skills. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's very important. I think, I mean, I think for me naturally, I think I'm naturally pretty talented at poker just because um, I've always been very good at math, and like poker is a very math-driven game. It's also very analytical, and like I kind of have like a very analytical mind. So like I naturally like have like sort of a little bit of a natural ability, but like it's a lot more than that. I think a lot of it um, is being like super disciplined um, on and off the table, meaning like, like if I have a big night, like I'm not going to go to like the blackjack table and spend $5 a hand or whatever, or like do something stupid like that. Like that, like a lot, that's a big downfall of a lot of poker players, like just being responsible with money, understanding bankroll management. I think that's important. Um, I think something I'm also very good at, like I don't really get tilted that easily. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes I'll get a little upset with myself if I make a mistake and I'll go from playing my A game to maybe my B game, which is still pretty good. But like a lot of players, they'll just have a bad beat or do something stupid and then it'll just, they'll just implode and just play like their C or D game. And like, it really really is pretty detrimental to them so just being having that emotional control I think is very important um and then also like I think in order to like really succeed at the highest level I I think you just really need to have a love for the game and I think I do have a love for the game like I always like when I was before like I was playing in casinos and stuff like I used to play I used to play, like, with my friends, like, you do, like, play, like, $5 tournaments or whatever, Ten, like, just play in these games. I'd play in, like, these bar leagues, like, for free. And um, just, like, I wasn't really playing to win that much money. I was playing because I loved – I liked the challenge of the game, like, just, like, trying to outsmart, like, my opponents and, like, all that stuff. So, like, just having the love for the game – because if you don't have the love for the game, you're not going to want to learn – more and improve which is super important and and how do you to to improve do you find that that comes from uh reading articles or books or watching you know i don't know documentaries or, or is it or is it more um i guess is, is is the best way to learn simply by playing or can you learn to be a better player out all you know out, outside the table you know, by, you know, on the internet or you know, learning, learning that way. Sure. I mean, I think it's a combination of both. So I think playing is definitely important because like, as you play more and more, 
like you see you start to see certain thing hands come up again like i mean it's not like chess where like you can memorize like different chess positions and like know exactly what to do in every situ- like, in certain situations cuz like poker like there's I, I mean i don't know there's like millions of different possible flops and i mean not flops or like different like runouts like for the five cards on the board and stuff so, like different scenarios so nothing's exactly the same but there's certain things that come up a lot so like just by playing a lot like you kind of recognize certain spots and like that definitely helps you improve but like it's definitely important to study off the table as well i think that a lot of poker books that are out are probably pretty outdated like anything written before like like anything written before like 2015 or something like it's probably not that good right now just because the game is constantly evolving and changing and it still is so um what i do i mean i have i mean i think i watch a lot of poker like i'll watch other players play in tournaments mm-hmm. or on streams and stuff i think that definitely helps um i mean i paid for a couple like subscriptions to like just poker training sites and stuff like that um and i think that's like some of the stuff i've learned on that has been like super helpful um so just constantly just like i mean what i do now i mean i just constantly either i'm listening to a poker podcast or watching a poker video like i do that mm-hmm. like for an hour or two a day and then and then just playing just putting in the volume because i think it definitely as you play more you start to see your mistakes and like you you can fix your mistakes um as as you play more like you learn how to fix your mistakes would you say as a poker player you have a a certain uh can poker professional poker players be labeled different different you know different types of players as in you know one player um can be more of like you know someone who um is more aggressive or bluffs more or is it kind of just the full the full package um do you you know do you have a a certain kind of focus in in your game or is it kind of just different you you kind of depending on the situation you know you you have the ability to kind of switch up your game depending on you know the different players at the table and and where you are yeah no i think a lot of being what um makes a really good poker player is just adjusting to the game you're playing in right um so um, you kind of want to be the opposite, do the opposite of like what most of your players, the players you're playing against are doing, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like for example, like um, what, mo- my style, I usually play very tight aggressive, which means tight meaning I- I'm tight with the hands I play pre-flop. Like I don't play a lot of junky hands. I play like good hands that can flop well and, have my opponents dominated when they call my raises and stuff um and then aggressive meaning when i have a hand like i'm going to be the one driving the action i'm not going to be passive just like check calling i mean obviously if i have like a marginal hand that should be played passively i'll do that but like i'm going to be driving the action a lot of times so that's what tight aggressive means so that works really well against a lot of the players i play against which are loose passive which is opposite of tight aggressive Mm. So against loose passive players, basically my strategy as a tight aggressive player is I most of the time I just wait for good hands. And then when I have a good hand, I just 
value bet them to death and like they usually can't most of them are just calling stations and they can't fold and they pay me off i mean i'll bluff in certain spots but against a lot of loose passive players that's how i'll play but then sometimes i'll run into like the tight passive players and against these guys i can widen up my range a little bit i can play a little bit more junky hands and i can bluff these players more so it's a lot of times i'm just kind of like adjusting i'm playing the player um, how how long does it take you to identify what type of a player someone is at um, the table? Pretty pretty quickly. I could I mean, probably within an hour I can immediately figure out who's even less than that probably. Who who like it's basically there's four categories of players. You have the tight aggressive players, um, like myself, who are usually gonna be like pretty good. Um you have like the loose aggressive players who can either be some of the some some there's some loose aggressive players who are very very good and then there's some loose aggressive players who are just maniacal and then against those players you just want to play passively against them and let them just bluff and just hang themselves hmm. um, and then you have the loose passive players which is a lot of recreational players right. they were playing too many hands and they're just they're calling too much and not betting enough. They're just there's loose pass, and then you have the tight passive players who are kind of like the weaker players who don't really want to gamble that much, and they're just playing super like weak and tight. And, and that will obviously by identifying them, you you've gained, you know, this is a game of percentages, such an advantage in terms of you know your ability to bluff and also on on and see you know, such an insight into their head now of what, you know, of, of, of what of what the cards are in their hands. Now you've gained yeah. this incredible advantage, it seems like. Yeah, for sure. A lot of poker is kind of like understanding how your opponent thinks about the game. And, like, you can kind of figure out, like, what they're – like, you can kind of figure out when they're bluffing and when they're not, um, like, when they have a really strong hand, when they have a draw, like, just based on, like, different, like, betting patterns or things like that which I think is, like, it's very important. Like, and a lot of these players are kind of, like, just thinking about their own hand and not really thinking about what you have. Right. And, and as you're going through the hand, just for your, you know, taking the other players out of it, or, I mean, I know you're obviously phenomenal at math. Are you able to, as the hand is playing out, run the the metrics, the the probability analysis, so, so, I mean, there are some, like, very precise, like, probabilities in poker, but, like, you don't really – it's, like, kind of, you don't really calculate, like, just cause, like, you don't know exactly what your opponent has. Like, um, I guess, like, there's certain things where, like, if you have a draw, right, like, you know exactly how many outs you have to hit your hand. Like, if you have a flush draw, right, you have nine cards that can give you a flush, or if you have a flush draw and an open-ended straight draw, you have 15 cards that can give you um, your hand. So, like, I know, like, those percentages, basically. And, like, those are kind of, like, second nature at this point. Like, I don't even do that math anymore just because i played so much. Like, I kind of know, based on, like, the bet size, if I have the right odds to continue to hit my draw. Right. So that's almost become kind of muscle muscle memory at this point. Yeah. Like, I don't need to be super, super precise with the math. I mean, there's certain times, I guess, when – like a player is all in and you know exactly how much more it is to call exactly how much is in the pot. And 
you can kind of like deduce, you can kind of like break their range down into like different categories and like figure out how your hand does against that range. Like there is that, that math sometimes comes up, but like for the most part, like I'm not doing like all these crazy calculations in my head at the table. It's just kind of like a lot of it's second nature, I guess. So what's interesting is but what I'm what I'm getting is obviously, you know, yeah, you, you have to be very good at math. That goes without saying, but it really is um a big percentage of this, which is surprising to me, is is really uh kind of being able to read the table, uh, uh kind of get insights into your opponents and then really just execute your strategy. Um that seems to be kind of the, you know, obviously a lot easier said than yeah. done, but that kind of seems to be the crux of it. Yeah, for sure. A lot of it, a lot of poker, it's like, I mean, poker is just a game of decisions and using the information you have available to make the best decisions. And just a lot of it's just like, it's kind of like a logic puzzle a lot of the times. Like, you just like see what your opponents do and like you kind of like deduce like, oh, he would never take this action with these hands and stuff like that. So, he doesn't really have anything here. I think he's bluffing. I call it like, stuff like that. Like you kind of like just deduce through logic a lot of times, like what your opponent could have. Sure. And, and so this is what I'm, I'm most interested in this question, Brian. So, so what would you say, you know, from, from playing with, with a lot of amateurs, which, which I know you love, you love when you play with, with guys like me, um, what's, what's the biggest mistake um, that you see amateurs make what 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 what's just you know the the number one thing that 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 you know makes us easy easy money for guys like you um i think a lot of it starts just with pre-flop like it kind of like the pre-flop mistakes compound into much bigger mistakes post-flop because basically a lot of amateurs will make the mistakes of playing like the wrong types of hands pre-flop and like hands, hands, like I'll give you some examples, like maybe like the hands that look good. Like, like you see, like if you saw a hand like King 10, like you would think, Oh, that's a pretty good hand, right? Two, two over cards, right. Or two big cards, right. Absolutely. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Connected. I can make good top pair. I can make a sure. straight. Like, Hands like that, for example, like I think, um, and they also don't really understand position that well. Um, and position is super important. Position, I, I, I assume you know what position is. Yeah, where where you're located on on the table, right? Yeah, relative to the dealer. So like relative. you want you want to be in later position, like near the dealer button, because you get to see what everyone else does before you make your decisions, which is very valuable. Um information it makes your decisions a lot easier um but one of the mistakes a lot of like amateur players make is they play these hands like king 10 offsuit ace eight offsuit six seven offsuit like hands that just look like they're probably pretty good but not really and the problem is like they'll see a flop and like the flop will come like king high and like they think like, oh, you may be good, you may not like. It's they get into like a guessing game a lot of the time with these hands, and they just lose a lot of money that way. Um, whereas like if you play 
like, I mean, if, as you get more experience, like you can loosen up your range a little bit more, but like when you're inexperienced, you should really be playing a really tight range of hands because it makes your decisions post-flop just so much easier. And when you're playing all these bad hands, um, it just, you just, a lot of times you're kind of in a guessing game, don't really know what to do. And like, that's how you just kind of make a lot of big mistakes. Yeah, I mean it's it's 100 percent true because right? you're, you're you're saying exactly what what I what I do is you know it's 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 there's no coherent strategy. It's every time I play, it's you know now I'll, you know I'll decide you know oh, I want to have a little bit more fun tonight. I want to be a little more aggressive. I want to you know maybe I'll I'll you know I'll tune it I'll turn it turn down the you know the 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 volume another night. And there's no coherent strategy it's just hand by hand and like you said right. i mean you know all these 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 hands that you know i've been playing all these years are probably ones <laughs> that that got me in the most trouble um you know i wish uh i wish i wish i knew you a long time ago you would have <laughs> saved a lot of money brian yeah, i can help you i can help you iron out a good solid pre-flop strategy because i think but i think I, you know go ahead I, th- I mean i think a lot of it, it starts pre-flop you you have a solid strategy pre-flop it just makes things a lot easier post-flop. If you just learn, like I, I've trained my mind to like look at certain hands. Like I see junk. Like I look at a six offsuit the same way I look at two seven offsuit. I'm like, this is junk. This is junk. Like you just train your mind to think that way. Like, cause like some people also don't have the discipline. Like they're losing, like they want to win it back. Right. Like, oh, it's like, I'm down. I need to win it back. And they kind of force things with these bad hands. Like they just got to be patient wait for the good hit. like it's okay like you're gonna have losing nights like you have to accept that you have to be able to accept right. that you're gonna have losing nights losing weeks um even losing months like it just happened like it's just part of the game you have to accept that and, and I, you can't I, let the game you have to let the game come to you and i think that's such a good point about the discipline and you're coming from an amateur i think what what obviously what really sets the amateurs and, and the professionals apart is I think the discipline and the patience where, you know, I think the amateur is, you know, you talked about getting on tilt. I think the amateur, you know, is going to, the, the highs are going to be really high and the lows are going to be really low, right? And probably from hand to hand, um, you know, human, human emotions really get into it and, you know, take, take the patience. I mean, I, for the amateur sitting at a table for two, three hours and not getting any hands is going to be a lot more difficult than for, you know, the professional who's, this is what they do for a living. And, you know, it's kind of like another day at the office. So, yeah, you know, I think obviously it's, it's, you know, it's looked at differently. If you can look at it as a professional that, like you said, that there's going to be good days and going to be bad. It just, I think it frees you to really play, your game um, and, 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 and kind of be free of, of all the other BS, um, you know, that, that the amateur player I think has going on in their head. I know. Yeah. I I totally agree with that. Like, yeah. I mean, as someone playing, if I'm playing every day, like all days where like, just like nothing happens. Like I like pretty boring. Like I'm up a hundred, a couple hundred, I'm down a couple hundred. I've played like two hands every hour. Like I had days like that. um, And like, it's just like, like, it doesn't bother me because it's like, all right, I'll just be back here tomorrow. Like, for, like, the amateur, it's like they may play once a week, and it's, like, could be, like, really frustrating if they have just, like, 
a bad day or just like the car dead and just like they feel like they have to force things because they're not going to play again for a while. Right, 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 right. So go, so going forward, so I I should play ace six or not? No, that hand's garbage. I mean, okay. you want to play hands like I mean, like suited though it's good because if you have ace six suited, like you want like you can make the nut flush. The flush, right? You can cooler someone if like the board comes six six deuce and they have a six like your kicker's the best kicker. Like that's like a six off just has nothing going for it. Cause like you hit an ACE and like, you never really know, is your ACE good? Like, what do you do? Like, it just, it's not a great hand. Got it. I mean, you can play it like late position basically, like, but in small blind, big blind. Um, but like, that's about it. Like I wouldn't play it from any other position on the table. Mm. No, it's just a different, you know, it's, it's like trying to uh, play one-on-one against uh, LeBron. You know, I mean, I think, What's interesting is, you know, obviously the amateur is going to win hands against a professional because, you know, the hands, obviously, what the cards are in your hands will will determine, you know, to a certain extent the outcome. But I do know that if I sit with you at a table long enough, whatever long enough is, you'll you'll beat me. (laughs) Um, You know, obviously I could, you know, in, in 20 minutes I might clean you out. But in an hour, two hour, three hour, um, you know, we play enough hands together, and I'm sure it's going to go the other way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean that's the great thing about poker that like anyone can win on um, any given night. Like that's what keeps like the recreational players playing. And right. I think another thing that um, where some pros go wrong is they don't understand the long term benefits of like the long, the long game, like they, some, there's some pros that will get really mad at the recreational players when they make a bad play and suck out on them. And like the, the pro loses a big pot in the moment and like they get all mad, but they have to realize like, if you piss off the recreational player, they're not going to want to play with you anymore. And like, but, and you want that recreational player to keep playing. Like you want to play with them in the long run because in the long run, you're going to make a lot of money off of that player by the mistakes that they're making. So some there's some pros that just will like berate these players and it's just like it's very just not done. Like that's another important skill to have just to be mm-hmm. um just be just be a good person, be nice to the recreational players, be friendly. Um yeah, just like ha- make sure they want to play with you. I mean it's so interesting, Brian. I'm so thrilled that you came on because it's I think the listeners what they'll gather what they'll learn from, from, from hearing from you is that it, it's, it is being a professional poker player is so much more than, than, you know, the cards in your hand are just one aspect of being a, a, a great player. I mean, sure. you could, you could even argue that it's, you know, it's, it's just, it's just one of the many, um, you know, and, and, um, you you you've made that you've made that crystal clear. So it it'll this you know this will this will give me some uh, hey maybe maybe my next Zoom poker game I'll uh, I'll I'm not gonna invite you to the game because I yeah. you know I don't I don't want you to take all my money but <laughs> uh, but maybe maybe I have some new uh, some new tips to uh, to perform a little bit better. So I appreciate that. <laughs> For sure. So I'm gonna we gotta wrap up, but you have an amazing skill. And it was brought to my attention by our executive producer, Jacob Gross. And this skill is that you are able to recall 
every single giant game, New York football giant game since 2007. And I, is it okay if I put you on the spot here, sure. uh, Brian? So I want to make sure the listeners know that this was not rehearsed. Uh, this was this was you know not something that Brian and I discussed um, previously. So Jacob just emailed me three games. Okay. And I am going to so Brian had no idea what three games these were. So I'm gonna we're gonna go one by one and uh and Brian you're gonna tell me what uh what happened in each game. How about that? I think yeah, ninety nine percent sure I'll get the score correctly. And okay. then I'll do details about the game. We'll have the fact checking department uh get get in on this. So right. <laughs> um okay, so we're gonna go with week six. Okay. 2008. Oh, wait, week six. Ooh, I don't like that game. Um, I'm pretty sure, okay, that was the, the Browns Monday night game, yeah. Um, that was their first loss that season. They were 4-0 to start the season, then they played the Browns on Monday night. They lose 35-14. Aaron Ross got torched by Braylon Edwards that night. I remember Eli threw like a pick six late in that game to basically seal it. It was on Columbus Day. I do remember that. It was yeah, Monday night game. It's a really yeah, really ugly game. I don't know why you <laughs> so, sorry to sorry to bring up this painful memory. Yeah. Okay. Week fifteen. Oh no. Week fifteen really bad. Week week fifteen is not a good week? Uh, it's usually bad, but okay. A lot of there's a lot of bad losses week fifteen, but okay. Uh-huh. You. Okay. We're going to try to get you a win, but week, oh, 15, you can... week, week 15, 2014. Oh. Oh, okay. Is that a win? Yeah. I just want to make sure I get the score right for a second. Okay, I'm pretty sure. Yes. They played the Washington football team, formerly known as... Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they were the Redskins at some point. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that was that was twenty four thirteen. They won that game, right? Yes. Okay, good. I, I wanted to make sure I got the score. Right. I was pretty. I was ninety percent sure. I, okay. You did get the score. So Odell had three touchdowns in that game. I remember he took like a slant to the house on one of them. Um, this was the infamous RG three rule, um, where RG three at the end of the half, he like dove for the pylon, but the ball like slipped out of his hand. And like hit the pylon, and um, basically, like that was ruled a touchback, and there was a whole controversy that's come up again. That happened again with like the Chiefs and the Browns this year in the playoffs. But like that's the first time I, I always call this this rule the RG three rule because of this game. I remember this game. I watched it like in the basement of my dorm in college. It's my freshman year of college. It was like during <laughs> finals. It was during finals week. I was just watching. Like no one was down there because it was like. I guess people were studying for finals, but, like, I was, like, watching the game. I remember I had finals to study for afterwards. But, yeah, that was that, that happened in that game. And also, I remember after the the fumble in the end zone, I think, like, Santana Moss got, like, some personal foul. And there's another personal foul. It was, like, a 30-yard penalty. And it was at the end of the half, too. And I think the Giants kicked off, started to kick off the second half, like, at, like, 40, like, at midfield or something. And they, like, attempted an onside kick, and they got it. I just remember, yeah, I just remember these details about that game. But, yeah, that was, that was 
that was an interesting one. Okay. <laughs> you were, you're pretty spot on there, Brian. So fun, <laughs> we're going to wrap it up with week two, okay. 2017. Uh, week two actually sucked recently because they, they always start off 0-2. Um, 2017, week two. Oh, I was at, I was at that game, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, I just want to double check for a second. Um, I think it was twenty four ten. Um, da, 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 da. I want to go. Yeah, I want to say they lost to the Lions twenty four ten. That's correct. Okay, good. Um, what do I remember about that game? I remember Evan Ingram had a touchdown. I remember. I think. It was Jamal Agnew on the Lions had a punt return for the touchdown that basically put the game out of reach. Oh, trying to remember other details about that game. Yeah, it wasn't really a particularly exciting game besides the Ingram touchdown. Like they were tied and then Lions went ahead and then the punt return basically put it out of reach. But yeah, that, 2017 was an awful, awful season. That was that was my least favorite season for sure. They yeah. were three. Three and thirteen. But they've certainly been a little uh, lackluster, let's say, in the last in the last couple of years. That's for sure. But hey, made some good signings. Seems like the last uh, last couple of weeks. So hopefully, hopefully yeah. a, a new a new a new beginning, right? Yeah, a I guess I can't explain too much because I mean it's probably much worse for you as a Jets fan. <laughs> Listen, you've I, I've never I've never seen a championship in my lifetime. So you've. I mean, you're as, the- as painful as it can be for you, you've got nothing. You've got nothing on me. Yeah. Recently, <laughs> awful. It's like the season's over in like Halloween every year. Done. Done. Well, that's that's some skill you have, Brian. Um, that is remarkable. Your your recall for for uh, for the New York Football Giants, and I can assure the listeners that uh, that was that was not rehearsed. Um, so so what's what's you know as we wrap up wrap up here Brian what what's what's next for you I mean um, you know COVID's obviously kind of changed the landscape hopefully we're you know we're we're headed in the in the right direction on that front but are you back playing in casinos now or are you still are you still online um, you know where do you see where do you see um, you know your your poker career you know going um, going forward. Sure. So, I mean, right now, actually, the last, like, nine or ten months I've been playing in this incredible online home game with a bunch of, like, rich Amazon employees and, like, that's been going really well. And um, I guess this is a story for another time, just how this game started and what I've been doing with this game. But anyway, like, that game has been great, and I'm hoping – like, I basically run the game now, and I'm hoping that I can keep this game going for – at least another few months, maybe a year or two, like post COVID, like that would be really good because that game is better than playing at the casino. Mm. But do, you, do you do you see yourself playing in more of these World Series of Poker tournaments? Yeah. So I mean, so I figure. I mean, in short term, um, once I, I'm fully vaccinated and I'm, it's safe for me to go to the casino, I'm gonna be playing the casino while also playing in this home game, and I hope. Um, to like play in a bunch of tournaments. Like I kind of want to make the trans. Now that I have a pretty good bankroll, I want to make the transition from cash to tournaments and like focus more on tournaments, playing like World Poker Tour, World Series of Poker events, um, and just see where that takes me. Like that's kind of what I'm hoping for the next like 
four or five years, just play in a bunch of tournaments and hope to do well in that. And they do that. Isn't the World Series of Poker? They do the the big money game in in Vegas every year. Have you ever? Is that is the goal to to play a play in the big one one of these one of oh, these years? Yeah. So, oh, I, we didn't even get into staking, but um, <laughs> well, that we'll save that for part two. Yeah, we want to <laughs> part two could be staking in the Amazon game, and I can talk all about that. There but, we go. Um, no, but staking. Yeah, no. Basically, um, yeah. That, the buy-in for that's like ten thousand dollars. Like they mm. have like. 7,000 players or something like first place gets like 8 million or whatever but um, I don't know when they're planning on having it this year it's kind of weird with COVID but I'm 100% planning on playing in that event and other events like I don't personally want to drop 10 grand on this tournament but I have plenty of people I know who would gladly back me for at least I mean I could probably get at least 5, 6, 7 grand covered of my 10k buying from just people like friends, family, back people in the poker community that could back me. So um, I'm definitely planning on playing um, that event whenever it is and a mm. bunch of tournaments. And, and you know, we, we will speak about this. I, I definitely want to have you on the show again at some point. And, and I, I do want to discuss the, you know, we'll save it for the next, the next show, but the staking concept um, is fascinating because it, as you know, I, I'm, I'm an investor as well, um, you know, I, in real estate, and I also, you know, manage my own money in the market, and it's it's another it's it's a it's a great investment tool um, to be able to stake a professional poker player like yourself because, you know, the the returns, like you said, I mean, uh, the two thousand turns into ninety thousand. I mean, the 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 returns can be so spectacular. I don't I don't know. If yeah. you can, I don't know if you can, you know, obviously you're not going to hit on it every night, but you can get such outside ROIs that are just unfathomable really anywhere else. Right. Um, so, you know, that's something uh, uh, we just didn't have time for it today, but um, another time I want to, uh, you know, maybe we can talk more about kind of the um, the investment, the investment side of it. And I also want to hear about you taking all the, all, all that money from, uh, from the, from those poor Amazon guys. I feel, <laughs> I feel, yeah. I feel terrible for them, you know. It's, yeah, right. It's such a shame that they. I know. They, um, well, Brian, I appreciate it. Thanks, thanks for taking the time. I'm really glad that that we had you on the show. Uh, was was a real good learning experience for for me and you know an amateur poker player. I got a I got a ton of value out of it, and um, and I wish you all the best, and uh, hope to uh, hope to have you on again soon. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Deep Dives with guest professional poker player Brian Deutschmeister. The show can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Deep Dives.